Rock and Road Pod, brought to you by the Honda Engine Room. Hello, this is Leona Graham. Thank you for joining me on the third series of the Rock and Road Podcast, episode three. And as you just heard, this episode is brought to you by the Honda Engine Room, the latest on cars, bikes, power products, racing, events and more. Now, this week I chat to 80s music legend John Parr, who had the massive hits in Elmo's Fire, and we discover why he went quiet for so many years. Bit of a shocker on the pod today, and what a lovely guy. I review a motorbike, details coming up. I chat to Emma from MCN Motorcycle News on the MCN Minute, and Gary Perrin from Doble's Honda, as well as album news and more. But first, I tried out the latest Honda NC750X DCT 2021 motorbike. Rock and Road Pod, brought to you by the Honda Engine Room. Visit honda.co.uk slash engine room. Now this is a beautiful looking bike. Mine is a gorgeous blue. The exact name is the Glint Wave Blue Metallic. It also comes in a pearl glare white, matte ballistic black metal, and a new colour, Grand Prix Red. This one has a new frame, detailed improvements around the engine and bodywork, new look LED headlight, tail light and rear indicators. I've always liked the riding position on these bikes. It's quite an upright position, combined with a low centre of gravity, meaning that the handling is better. Talking of which, let's get it out on the road. First thoughts are, as I pulled it off the drive, it is lighter than my previous model and for me that is a huge bonus. Feels a little bit slimmer as well. Oh, it's lovely to be back out on the road on this. The screen is showing me what gear I'm in. I'm in third, doing 20 miles an hour. Shows me my rev counter, the time, and how many how many miles the bike's done. It's only done 22 miles. Woohoo! I'm driving into central London for a uh, meeting. This is the only way to get into central London. It's quicker, it's more cooling in this hot weather, and it's a pleasure rather than a chore. Now, one of the most unique and best features of this motorbike, and the reason why I personally love it, is it's a DCT, dual clutch transmission. Essentially, it means I don't have to bother changing gear. In the same way I have an automatic car, I have an automatic motorbike. Because I'm lazy like that, and I find uh, changing gear all the time in London drives me potty. So, very happy to give up those gears and just enjoy the ride. So what's the difference between this and the last model? Well, this 2021 has got more power. Extra torque, an extra 600 RPM, shorter ratios for the first, second and third gears. And it's got three modes, rain, standard and sport. The seat is also 30 millimeters lower, which doesn't sound like a lot, but actually that's three centimeters and it makes the overall height of it 800 millimeters. So just being a little bit closer to the ground means that when I pull up at a junction like I am now, my feet can sit firmly planted on the ground. And I'm five foot seven, so uh, this feels ideal for me. Another great feature, auto hazard lights. So if you were to do an emergency stop, slam on the brakes, the hazard lights will come on automatically. 
is six kilograms lighter, so quite a big difference. This is 224 kilograms in total now, and I can really feel the difference. One of the other amazing features I like about this bike is the storage is out in front of me. We normally have the petrol tank. The petrol tank is actually under the pillion seat, and you can fit a full face helmet in there. They've increased the storage on this 2020 Mun model as well. They've moved the battery uh, to the centre, giving that little bit extra bit of space for the storage. I just find it easier than messing about with the storage at the back or sides on a separate key. Just walk up to the bike, throw my bag in the middle there, slam it shut, and I'm away. It also means if I'm picking up Harley from school, I can chuck his helmet in this bit in the front here. It's got a new, newly designed screen at the front, which does improve the wind protection, even though it's quite small, it's actually very effective. You can get this at the NC750 without the DCT as well, but I just love the DCT part. Now let's see how slim I am. Can I squeeze down this side of traffic here and get past that van? I'm just going past the uh, new Wimbledon football stadium and there's these cycle lanes that they've been putting in which are really really wide and have got pillars on but it's left the lane so narrow now i can't get around on my motorbike nobody cares about us poor bikers whoa over the road ramps let's see what this suspension is like it's not too bad at all let's do this one quite fast oh i only took off a little bit I've been to my meeting and I am riding out of central London right now. I'm on a little road called Veer Street, which is going to go across Oxford Street in just a moment. I'm surrounded by black cabs. You can't quite squeeze down between them, that's the trouble. I'm going to try. Yes. Oh, look, I'm behind a van now called absolutelycourier.com. I've just ridden around High Park Corner, which is a really complicated junction, loads of lane swapping didn't even think about it in this, felt easy. The extra power, the fact it's light up, oh, more storage, all bonuses for me. I was already a fan of this bike to start with anyway, so yeah, I'm loving it. Prices start on the Honda NC750X 2021, 7,459, and the DCT version, a little bit more, 8,229. Pictures of the bike are on Instagram at Rock and Road Pod. Now, an 80s legend. Rock and Road Pod, brought to you by the Honda Engine Room. Please welcome to the podcast, John Parr. Hi, John. Hey, Leona. How are you doing? Very good, thank you. So what's going on with you? How, how is life at the moment? Well, I'm kind of still semi-locked down. I'm all jabbed up. I'm yep. ready to roll, but... Who knows whether the shows are going, I don't know. Yes, lots of uncertainty still. Now, we know you, of course, best for the song St Elmo's Fire, a US number one, and something I play a lot on Absolute 80s. Um, what was it like being approached to write a song for a film which was called St Elmo's Fire? What was that like? It was kind of a dream come true ever since I was a little boy. I'd dreamed about working in film and then everything came at once. It's like waiting for a bus and suddenly they all come at once, you know, and I'd, I'd got the record deal. First record was a big hit, Naughty Naughty. And then David Foster had heard that and said, look, will you come and write a song for this movie? It was incredible and a very, very tight deadline. It was written, recorded in a couple of days. 
And of course, I, I guess you know the story that although it was it fitted the film, it wasn't technically written for the film. I wrote it about a guy called Rick Hansen. Yeah, I wanted to ask about that because obviously I've been playing this song for years and when you delve into the story behind the song, it's it's quite complicated really. So you were asked to write a song for a film, but actually the song is about someone else. Yeah, I really couldn't get to grips with the storyline of the, of the film. It was about kind of, you know, Silver Spoon kids in a college in America struggling with their lives. I'm, I'm a kid from the north of England who left school at 15. And so my imagination wouldn't stretch. And <laughs> right. so we came up with a tune really quickly, but lyrically, I was struggling. And uh, Joel Schumacher, the director, came down and he'd written it. and I still couldn't get inspired. And then David just showed me this little, like a 10-minute local news station video uh, of this young guy who broke his back a year earlier. And he decided he was going to get in his wheelchair and re wheel it around the world on the Man in Motion tour. And it just put the hairs up on the back of my neck. And that, well, I wrote the lyric that night about what I imagined that journey would be. But I also made it appear like if you were listening to it in the movie, you'd think the pair of wheels was Demi Moore's Jeep when it was Rick's wheelchair. Or for once in his life, for man has his time, you think that's when Emilio gets the girl. But it's actually when two years later I dreamed that uh, Rick would go through the finishing tape. Right. And did David Foster mind that it kind of had this dual meaning? He thought I was crazy. He said, <laughs> uh, you know, this is the big break. You'll never get it past the film company. And particularly that you insist on calling it Brackets Man in Motion. I think the thing that saved us was that the deadline was so tight. I mean, we wrote it Friday, recorded uh, Saturday, some Sunday, mixed it Sunday night. And it was literally biked to the film company and doubling to the movie you know, so it's that quick. And I think had they had time to think about it, they would have, you know, put the brakes on. But the only downside is it cost us the Oscar nomination. We were tipped to have a good shot at the Oscar. We lost the nomination because I'd told everybody it was about Rick Hansen. Yeah, I was, I was reading about that. I mean, you weren't allowed to be put in that category for best original song because technically it wasn't about the movie. It was about Rick Hansen. Exactly. Um, but it was just such a small technicality because, in fact, it does have a dual meaning and it was used in the film. So that seems really unfair. Yeah, it was just one of those, you know, again, you know, I think in time things get revised, but it was one of those long-standing clauses. And Was that a bit gutting at the time or were you quite philosophical about it? It was a bit gutting, you know, because, uh, again, I mean, it's your dream, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it would have been all in one year. You know, your first movie, you know, and then an Oscar nomination would have been, you know, wow. It would be a dream come true, you know. It was just everything rolling so fast. After so many years, I mean, I was already in my 30s and had been struggling for all that time. And then suddenly everything happened. Yeah, so the, the, the top tip there is to never give up. It's, it's not too late, obviously, because uh, it all Story happened for life. you at once. <laughs> yeah. But you had been um, doing some work before this big song because you'd been on tour with your band and uh, called The Business. You were supporting Toto. You'd done some work with Meatloaf as well, hadn't you? Because you're, you're a prolific songwriter as well as performing your own stuff. That, that was really the opening of the door, Leona. I signed a little publishing deal in 1982. And they started pushing my songs out. I wasn't even playing live at that point. I'd, I'd done live playing for about 20 years. And the truck blew up and the band blew up. And so um, it was just writing songs. My wife was paying the bills. 
and I was just sending cassettes out. And Meatloaf heard one of the, the songs and wanted to meet me. And we just struck up this instant friendship. And within a, within a month, I was living with him in, and his family in Connecticut and recording his, his new album. Which was Bad Attitude. Yeah. Now, talking of writing, you actually written music for a lot of major films as well, including Three Men and a Baby. Yeah, that was... Uh, that was an amazing one. That was with uh, Carol Beasag, uh, Marvin Hamlish, and David Foster again. And um, <clears throat> Disney, Disney got in touch with us and said, this is just going to be a little film. It's got TV actors. It's got Tom Selleck in it. Um, it's got Ted Danson from Cheers. And uh, Steve Guttenberg was the only Hollywood actor. But they, Disney said it's a remake of a little French film. It's not going to be big. <laughs> and we literally went in the studio. It was a lovely lyric that Carol had written, and David and I and Marvin came up with the music. And um, the rest's history. It became Disney's biggest movie to date until Pirates of the Caribbean. It exploded. That is amazing to be involved in that. Any other massive films that we might know? Yeah, I did uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, The Running Man. Oh, that's a great um, film. Yeah, and that was... Um, Harold had just, uh, Harold Faltermeyer, I wrote it with Harold Faltermeyer, and Harold had just done Top Gun and Beverly Hills Cop. So we met up and uh, we actually did it in Munich. It was really weird. I think it was 86. And this was in the analog days, but this was all done digitally from Munich. So we'd record on a machine called uh, Synclavia, which was like 50,000 pounds worth of digital hardware, unheard of in the 80s. And we'd record on that, and then we'd send it over the phone lines to another Sinclair in the Hollywood studio, and they'd go, yeah, we love it. And then it, it went from there into the movie. And then I got to, um, I got to make the film with, uh, with Arnie. So I, Arnie's in the video for us. Great. God, that is fantastic, isn't it? So yeah. quite an amazing time in the 80s. Um, what was sort of the 90s and the noughties like for you? Well, it was it was a a very fallow period because, unfortunately, that again, you know, it's like into every life some rain must fall, and I'd put my trust in someone in my setup, and unfortunately, it was misplaced, and I, my career was frozen for nineteen years. I was in a court case for nineteen years. What? And so I couldn't work for nineteen years. Goodness me, that's actually so that's why I went quiet. <laughs> that's terrible. Yeah, I, I didn't get out of it till 2010. I, I, uh, I mean, I did, I did little tiny projects, but, you know, if you're in litigation, there's always a box on a contract. Are you in litigation? And if you tick that box, you haven't got a deal. And so are I couldn't get are you able to summarise what that was about or are you not allowed to discuss it? I can't really discuss it other than, you know, I would say any of your listeners out there, you know, make sure you've dotted the T's and crossed the I's and put it on paper. Don't, don't trust a handshake. Okay, that is very good advice, John. Thank you for that. Um, because people listening to this podcast, some of them are musicians starting out. So it's, it's a good yeah. point. Can I talk to you about cars? Yes. <laughs> yes John, please. what was your first car? Uh, it was a, a Volkswagen Beetle. Uh, looked like Herbie. You know, oh, awesome. Man. What year was that? Crikey, that's, uh, let me think, I've got to add it up, 17 on to 1969. Car, yeah, a classic car, yeah. Um, and what are you driving now? A Bentley Continental. 
Ooh, very stylish. <laughs> Are you a big fan of driving or is it just something to get from, from you, A to I've B? I've always loved cars. If you look at my videos, I've always got great cars in the videos. Um, yeah, but my second car was a Lotus Elan and I've, I, I've had a passion for cars all the way along. And then, obviously with the court case, that kind of all <laughs> had to take a back seat. And then once I won and got rolling again, I... Uh, I bought a Porsche. And, what uh, did he drive during those years then? I think we were driving like a, a Mondeo and like a, an old 190 Mercedes. Right, okay. Yeah, it was like full circle. It's like in the years, you know, if you're a struggling musician, I was driving about in 100-pound cars for 20 years. And my friend, in fact, I credit him on my first album, you know, Glenn, Glenn Seaman, Mobility on a Fiver. And he kept me, he kept me running for years when I had no money as a struggling musician, you know. Are there any positives to come out of that period of time where you weren't allowed to carry on with the music? Yes, totally. Uh, we, uh, my wife and I began a family. We just began a family, actually. Uh, so the boys were, you know, about six and four. And then everything froze and the shutters came down. I had no income at all. And, um, but I got to be dad till they were grown up. And I wow. would have missed that. A lot of my contemporaries, I won't name them, but, you know, they're on their third and fourth wife and estranged from their kids. I I was dad all the way through and we had a great time. And I had to do little other jobs, stepping off piste, as I call it, just to kind of keep the dream alive. But, yeah, I think that was the big thing. I got into dog breeding. I was always after challenges. So we, mm -hmm. we bred German Shepherds. We won Cross. We won Cross one year with best German shepherd, became a martial arts instructor. I, I, you know, I'm always looking for challenges. That's fantastic to hear, John. Um, so looking to the future then, so you mentioned you hopefully got some tour dates um, yeah. coming up. Is there anything else, any new music coming? Yeah, I've got a brand new album. We're about 25% uh, off finishing. We've just, we've just completed a film, a lovely film of the making of. So... Yeah, there's lots of kind of uh, lots of things to look forward to. I'm really pleased. The record is, uh, I think, as I say to myself, it's pretty special, and the film captures the magic of of the creation of it as well. You know, I've got Kenny Jones on there. You know, from uh, the Who and the Small Faces, some great players, and uh, it was just magic. A lot of love in the room, and fortunately, the film camera caught it. Well, we're looking forward to that coming out. And thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It's been my pleasure. And, uh, you know, I wish you and your listeners all the best, Leona. The MCN Minute. Welcome to the podcast, Emma Franklin, Deputy Editor of MCN Motorcycle News, the weekly paper. Hi, Emma, how are you? I'm really well, thanks, Leona. How are you? Yes, good, thank you. Uh, what's been happening? So, it's sort of been a week of racing comebacks, really. So, uh, first up is the news that six-time MotoGP champion Mark Marquez is back to his winning ways, taking his first victory in 581 days at last Sunday's German Grand Prix. So, that's 11 months since the crash that factored his humorous and left him with career-threatening complications. So, yeah, the poor oh. guy's been through it. But he's actually uh, attributing uh, 500GP champ Mick Doohan as helping him as getting his head back in the game because it was Doohan's fight back from the verge of having his leg amputated in the 90s to go on and win five world championships that's regarded as the sport's greatest ever comeback so mix actually helped him sort of get over his in injuries in a mental sort of sense so okay 
So you can read about that in the paper. Yeah, yeah. And then okay. what got, else we got? We've got racing comeback number two or three, Ooh. if you count the McDuin reference, is uh, it's Anna Carrasco. Now, not only is Anna remarkable as being the only woman to ever win a motorcycle world championship when she won the 2018 Supersport 300 title, but last week at Mazzano, she returned to the top step of the podium for the first time after breaking her back last September. I know, amazing. So we've got a great interview with her and also some fairly gruesome x-rays of all the metal scaffolding that she had inserted in her spine and the massive zip-like scars that she's now left with. So, Which, let's incredible. face it, we all want to look at. So yeah, that's exactly. in the paper this it's week. Impressive. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what else you got, Em? So it's an absolutely huge issue this week. So we've got two extra pull-out supplements inside. So the first one is a BSB season preview because the season kicks off at Alton Park this weekend. And the second is our 20-page summer missions guide, which is packed full of inspirational uh, UK-based rides and destinations and tips so you can go out and have your own adventure in Britain this summer. Cool. So a jam-packed paper this week. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, huge. <laughs> it is out today uh, in local news agents, and of course, there's online versions as well. Uh, there is indeed. Yeah, go and get it. Thank you, M. Chat to you next time. Okay, thanks. Bye. The MCN Minute. Loads of albums to talk about this week. There's a great new album out called Van Weezer by Weezer, and the title is a reference to Van Halen. And this particular Weezer album features much more heavy guitars and a more arena rock styled sound. And if you want to have a listen to that, the album is out now. It's their 15th studio album. It's come out after the album OK Human, but actually recorded before, but everything got mixed up after the the year of COVID last year when everything was put on hold, but it is now finally out. Best track on the album, in my opinion, is one called Blue Dream. That is Van Weezer out now. Other albums just out, James, they've got a new one, the Noel Gallagher, new Noel Gallagher collection album, and Wolf Alice. And next week, an album celebrating Joni Mitchell's songs, the 50th anniversary of Blue is coming out. Meanwhile, on to a classic album I can recommend for you this week. It's an ACDC album called Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap. And it's the third album by ACDC. It was the third one to come out in America, second in Europe, not released in America till the early 80s. Quite complicated the way their albums came out, but let's just say it's an early album recorded in the mid-70s, featuring their singer Bon Scott. The title track, Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap, is fantastic. Features the lyrics, just ring 362436. Now, this was an actual phone number in Australia at the time, belonging to Norman and Marilyn White. And they actually sued the band for invasion of privacy because they were inundated with calls due to this song. Many ACDC fans in the area dialed 36, 24, 36 and an 8 at the end because actually they sing hey, but everybody thought, well, that must be an 8. They rang the number, they got through and it caused this particular couple a lot of trouble. Um, the judge ruled against them. They didn't win damages. Anyway, the album is fantastic. There's another song on it called There's Gonna Be Some Rockin', which has got a real rock and roll vibe to it. Problem Child, a song I played when Dexter was born and lives up to that name. And uh, then, of course, on side two, you've got a track called Big Balls, which is a massive innuendo. It says it's about a cocktail ball, but have a listen to it. It has a rather big double meaning. Big balls, side two, worth listening to just for the laugh factor. So the album is called Dirty Deed, Done Dirt Cheap, ACDC. Go and listen to the album today after listening to this podcast. Rock and Road Pod. 
brought to you by the Honda Engine Room, the latest on cars, bikes, power products, racing, events, and more. Now, as this week's episode is sponsored by the Honda Engine Room, uh, I have a, another special guest on the show this week, Gary from Doble's, which is the largest Honda franchise in the UK. Hi, Gary. Hi, Leona. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, very well indeed. So tell me some Honda news. Honda news. Oh, exciting this week for me personally is the, the start of the British Superbike season. After, well, normally British Superbike starts around Easter time, but obviously with COVID and everything else that's been going on, the season start point has been put back. And this weekend will be the first round from Alton Park. So what's Honda's involvement? British Superbikes is the national championship for racing. For Honda, the team will be racing the Honda Fireblade-based machine in the super stock and the super bike categories. You've got a Fireblade, haven't you? I have got a Fireblade. Sadly, it's not a modern one. <laughs> I, I prefer my old classic. But yeah, the, the 2021 Fireblade will be competing. Okay, and uh, any other new Hondas coming out? I mean, I've got the latest NC750X DCT. Um, what was that other bike you mentioned to me the other day? Oh, the relaunch of the Honda Cub. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about that. Well, the Honda Cub has been around in various guises for many, many years um, in various sizes, 50cc, 70cc, 90cc. Um, they relaunched it a couple of years ago, but then due to emissions regulations had to drop it from the range. Um, but they've now brought it back again. Um, it's probably the best selling motorcycle in the world ever, um, with over 100 million units sold worldwide. Wow. Why is it so popular? It's, it's your basic do-everything motorbike. I mean, especially in third world countries and stuff. Um, they're mechanically simple. They're easy to ride, easy to use, and they just go on forever. All right, Gary, well, thank you. No problem at all. Now, if you log on to the Honda Engine Room, you can see a great article done by five journalists who've had rides on the very Honda bikes that are being used this weekend for the BSB. So head over to the Honda Engine Room for more. Honda.co.uk slash engine room. Thank you for listening uh, to the so, podcast this week. So no, and no, no. Hang on, hang on a minute. No, 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 no. It's Dexter again. What do you want? Uh, I got to tell a joke today. Go on, let's hear your joke. What kind of music do geologists 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 like? What kind of music do geologists like? Oh, I don't know. You tell us. Rock. Of course! It has to be rock for so many reasons. Dexter, thank you for that. Thank you to my editor, Ross Hoare, and I am back with episode four in the near future. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Rock and Road Pod. Thanks to the Honda Engine Room, the latest on cars, bikes, power products, racing, events, and more. And thank you for listening. Rock and Road Pod. Brought to you by the Honda Engine Room. Visit honda.co.uk slash engine room.